health crisis. Uh, the longer we go through isolation and lockdown, and certainly off the back of this, uh, you know, my big worry is that the whole mental health picture for the, for the nation is, is going to change absolutely massively. It's going to be a big, big issue. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. Okay, so today on the show, we have Gary Brookin, who has recently left the Royal Marines after a 22-year career in the medical services. Joining as a medic, he undertook nurse training, going on to specialise in intensive care before commissioning into the officer uh, cadre and left as a senior nursing officer for three commander brigade Royal Marines. He deployed operationally to Iraq, Afghanistan, and Sierra Leone during the Ebola crisis, as well as undertaking major exercises in the USA, Oman, and Albania. He had lost his purpose and his passion, and he needed a change. His journey into civilian life saw him follow his love of good food and a plan to become a property investor. Following a life-changing medical diagnosis, he's rediscovered his purpose and is currently on a journey to instill this into his passion for helping others while enjoying some good food along the way. Gary, welcome to the show. Fantastic, Joe. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me on. No problem, no problem. That's a, that's a very interesting biography there. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it makes for good reading. It's, uh, there's lots to dip into. So I'll start at the beginning. Tell me what's going on in your world right now. Um, right now, I'm going through a real period of change, obviously adapting to the situation that's going on around at the moment. But in, in the last year, it's, it's been all about change for me. Uh, as you mentioned, I've just left the Royal Navy after a, uh, after a long career, which has been fascinating and rewarding on so many levels. Um, but uh, decided for a variety of reasons that enough was enough and it was time for the, uh, a new adventure and the next chapter of my life, really. So I, I don't know where the change and uh, everything that's, sort of, that's, that's going on at the moment actually started, um, but I, it seems to be uh, certainly accelerated and upward growth of, uh, of change at the moment. So, yeah, exactly. there's lots. Um, so as you mentioned, I left the Navy. I had a plan originally that I was going to take the property world by storm and uh, set up this business with my brother, uh, the Wildfire Kitchen, um, doing events and festivals you know the street food scene and sharing a love of good food and having some adventures along the the way really um but that's kind of yeah obviously for a variety of reasons the current situation um that that plan's changing and evolving as as we speak so i've got other new adventures in my life as well at the moment having become involved with uh, armed forces charity uh, to support veterans still maintaining that that military bond that's that's very important to me um, feel free to give them a shout out oh yeah sure so it's the uh, it's the armed forces community hub based in exeter um start getting involved with them on a very practical level um turning up and going along to their their coffee mornings and chatting to some of the veterans that they support um, and getting involved in a couple of their projects that they've got ongoing at the moment. Um, but uh, obviously, as much as uh, everything else at the moment, it's uh, a, a lot of things on hold. So all those, that sense of community and that, that get-together that they had worked so hard to develop is on, is on pause at the moment. So, Have they gone digital? Uh, yes, yeah. They've embraced the, uh, the love of Zoom as much as the country has at the moment. Uh, so they're doing a virtual online coffee morning and, uh, and, and chat. Yeah, regularly on a Tuesday morning they do for, for the veterans that they support. Um, but obviously all the projects that they had in the pipeline, the charitable funding and the applications are still going in, but can't really get on with anything just at the moment. Um, obviously, it's a lot, of, a lot of it involves uh, people getting together, um, being out in community spaces and doing work together. So, uh, yeah, so a bit of a hiatus, but still maintaining the contacts there and, and keen to be involved. With them. How are you... Um... Are you coming into civilian life? I mean, I, I've had friends that have left the army, and the the commonality I seem to hear is that is the lack of uh, teamwork on the outside, the lack of that team mentality. And how are you faring up with that? Um, I, I, I wouldn't say that's that's really been an issue. I mean, for, for me, the it was more about my reasons for wanting to leave. Um, I'd had uh, 22 years uh, serving my country and helping others. Obviously, being in the medical background, you're very much focused on helping others. But 
where I'd gotten to in my career um, and the level I'd gotten to, I'd, I'd put myself down down a, down a hole really where I think I'd lost my passion, lost my per sense of purpose. So I was feeling quite lost. So actually the journey to civilian life was quite liberating for me. Um, obviously it's a time of great uncertainty. It's a time of great, uh, you know, sort of wonder, steep learning curve. There are a, a lot of differences. Um, between obviously military and civilian life, maybe not as many nowadays as, as there once were. Obviously, the, the modern way of working within the military, there is a lot more flexible working. Um, I've been lucky enough that I've been mostly based in and around near my home, so my sense of community, um, my family bonds are still there. So that initial jump from the military life wasn't wasn't too wasn't too bad, I suppose. But um, yeah, going into yeah, lack of teamwork. Yeah, maybe not so much of an issue. Um, I think for, for me, it was getting to grips with where I was as a person and trying to find my spark again, like my passion and my purpose, really. Well, and, and for you, that, that was dabbling into the wildfire kitchen. So tell us more about what's going on with that. Yeah, well, I've always been a, a fan of great food um, and love it as a consumer, um, but also, you know, the great conversations that go around food. Um, I, I, I see food as the original, uh, you know, sort of the original social media, really. It's that place where everybody connects, you know, sort of whenever you get together with friends or families, inevitably there was food involved. So for me, it's always been that bond that, that keeps um, communities uh, and people together. And actually being able to make other people happy through food was always a, a passion of mine, sort of very much an amateur foodie, messing around in the, in the kitchen. It's where I'm at my happiest um pottering around in the kitchen sometimes you know sort of like glass of wine on the go messing around with the pots and pans and hopefully dishing up something edible at the end of it so it was a a want for me to be able to try and rediscover that that passion that saw me focusing on the you know the uh the closest and most obvious thing really my brother was um very much you know he, he trained in catering when, when he was younger and has always been in and around that that industry throughout his career so it came very natural, uh, natural to him. Um, and my other half, Nikki, she works in the food industry as well. So it's always been a big part of uh, part of uh, our lives, really. So that's cool, man. Okay. Um, so it, was it was it ever a plan as, as a youngster to like you know kick off a business with your brother, or was it just something that just sort of manifested? No, it's, it's something we'd always mooted around oh we'll do it one day we'll we'll, we'll do it here you know sort of we'll do it then it's just. It, time was never right I suppose there's always a way a lot with work and it wasn't something we could easily do um, as it turned out last season uh, you know leaving uh, well blimey uh, just coming up for just coming up for a year ago sort of when I officially left um, it was right at the beginning of the summer trading season so it was great to just seamlessly go from one career into the other uh, we had a fantastic time last summer some great gigs met some great people <laughs> Had an awesome time. Inevitably, you're you know sort of a beer or music festival, so everybody's enjoying themselves. Learnt loads, uh, lots of positives to take away from last season, um, from people that we met and lessons that we've learnt. Obviously, a couple of uh, lessons that we, we we needed to learn. Obviously, on some some of the events that uh, sort of we took away the negative learning experiences from. But um, overall, last summer was just yeah, just great. We had a really good time, really excited, still got the passion for it, even though we haven't got the events this, this season. So, yeah. A chance to regroup and uh, understand more of what you do on them. Yeah, very much. A uh, chance to uh, do a bit of navel gazing where we want to take the business to go. So we're looking at uh, obviously different options where we want to go. Still very much in that scene around uh, community of uh, enjoying good food. Uh, most of it cooked over fire, as, as the name suggests. It's very much, you know, sort of cooking with fire and barbecue and uh, wood-fired oven is, is very much our flavour. So looking at, uh, you know, sort of developing where we want to go with that, whether that's, you know, sort of a retail side of uh, doing like that. But just, I think just getting more involved in the, uh, the, the community around food as a whole, really. So that's what we've, we've got a chance to do now. So. Absolutely. That's cool, man. That's cool. Okay, so you mentioned also that um, uh, trying to rediscover your spark. So you sort of went on this journey uh, into being a medic and, and then progressing through the ranks. Do you think you could pinpoint a point where you sort of had that awareness of, hang on a minute? Um, oh, well, at a point in my career, uh, um, 
not that I was aware of at the time. Um, looking back on it, for for me, there was definitely a point in my career where I felt I'd reached, um, from a clinical point of view, um, I should probably say, you know, sort of my, my passion and, you know, sort of took great pride in serving my country and been in a position where I could help others. Um, and for me, it's certainly in the clinical world that reached a, a pinnacle with my deployment to Afghanistan. Um, you didn't re realize it at the time. You're in a member of a high performing team in the world's busiest trauma hospital, doing the sort of things that you would never do in City Street, the level of trauma and uh, the experiences that you go through as a team. That, uh, you know, privilege of being out there to be able to support you know, the true heroes, which are the guys on the ground going out there and, uh, you know, sort of facing their fears and uh, and on, on the streets as they were doing every day, we were there to support them. And that really, looking back on it, was the pinnacle of my clinical career. Um, after that, it became more about progression. Uh, so coming back from, from that experience, it was more about um, pursuing my ambition of going over to the officer cadre. It was, you know, sort of moving up through the ranks and learning new skills, developing new skill set, putting myself in, in new positions and, and growing myself really. And that sort of level of position where you're more of in position to be able to grow an impact on others and lead and develop them as, as part of your team. So the focus changed. Um, but I think that was also where I, um, knowing that I'd been through that experience in Afghanistan was looking back on it was possibly the, the key turning point. Um, after that, there was, there was a job, which was quite a negative experience for me, um, that I did, um, which being involved in, in, in a situation was that, but, uh, uh, uh um, an atmosphere of toxic leadership. Um, I could quite easily have left straight after that job, but didn't want that to be the end point of my career. Um, yeah. So sort out to the end really, and, I, and found my love for the for the navy back again. But by that point, you know, you the decision to leave the military isn't a quick one. It's it's a twelve month notice period. So by the time you get to the point of pushing the button and taking what they call the seven clicks to freedom, it's it's a long drawn out decision that you, you don't. You shouldn't arrive at irrationally. You certainly got a long period of uh, grace to be able to reflect on your decision whilst you, you know, before you actually leave. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So let's, let's delve back a little bit further now, but sort of well before that, sort of into like, you know, the time in school. What stories come to mind for you? Well, before that, you're calling me old, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. That's right. It was a long time ago, believe me. Um, school, blimey, yeah. Um, well, I was uh, lucky enough to have gone to a grammar school. Um, that was something, though, which um, which uh, never sat never sat well with me. I, I didn't really settle in school too well and as such I never really took advantage of the opportunity that I had at the time. I think um, my engagement with the education process was, was, um, wasn't just there at, at that time in my life, it, it had been subsequently when I went on to do my degree and obviously my postgraduate degree as, as, as a nurse but um, yeah, uh, yeah it, was, it was an unsettling time and I think maybe looking back on it you know Maybe I didn't see myself as worthy of warranting a place at the grammar school, um, even though by all accounts, you know, I'd, I'd done more than enough to get to get in there. But there was always that nagging sort of fixed mindset, like I don't belong here. You're around other people. And instead of having that growth mindset, of seeing other people as people to emulate, I put myself on a competitive level as, as you do when you're uh, you're going through that secondary school stage and saw myself as like oh I'm not as good as him I'm not going to do that there so I never really felt like it was like I belong there I think also had you know certainly on a on a low level case but experiences of, of bullying which kind of tarnished the uh, the experience for me um, so yeah I, was, I couldn't wait to leave to be honest um, being a grammar school the focus was very much on which university are you going to go to and what are you going to read? Um, I knew from the outset I had no intention to go to university, certainly not that stage of my life. I just wanted to uh, leave. Uh, you know, I was in the Air Cadets at the time and at the time my passion was to go and join the Royal Air Force. So, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, touching on something you said there, um, when you said when he was there, you had feelings of like, you know, should I be here? That sort of mm. like 
fixed mindset, which is coming from the aspect of where you've just done everything you did last year. You just framed the kind of like negative experiences as learning experiences. So going from the growth mindset you've got now, thinking back to when you were in that position, what do you think was the trigger or what do you think was the, the underlying uh, thing that put that fixed mindset in place? Do you think you could talk to that? Um, I think it's just where you are naturally as a teenager anyway. Um, I'm sort of lucky, if you can call it that, lucky enough to see my own daughters going through that, that time of their life at the moment. I've got one who's in year 10, one in year 12, so coming up to delightful year next year, GCSEs and A-levels. Uh, you know, I'm blessed. I know a, a lot of people are up against it this year, but I'm, I'm sort of thankful that they're not going through the exams just at the moment. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I see them going through a lot of the struggles that I went through about wanting to fit in and about recognizing um, having your own sense of self-identity, your own sense of self-awareness. You haven't got the moral courage or the skill set when you're younger really to be who you are. I find myself telling the girls now is that, um, you know, don't worry about what other people think, just be yourself. You know, when you leave school, nobody's going to care about who you were friends with or who the particular cliques is. But I've lost that sense of connection to what it was like at the time. When, when you're a teenager, that is the hardest thing to do. It's all about being accepted, about blending into the crowd, about not putting your head above the parapet. And I'm looking at it now, having developed a growth mindset and instilling my current values on what it was like then. Um, and when I went through it, we didn't have social media to worry about. That's a big concern for me as a parent to see them going through it with the added pressure of conforming and you know sort of constant contact of social media and and how you're portrayed by others it's 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 not easy it really isn't it's a, a hyper judgmental world at the moment for for that generation i think yeah very much so yeah and it's yeah. it's constant it's it's 24 7 i'm you know, as much as my kids moan, I'm quite a strict parent. You know, certainly try and have the phones off um, and away from them an hour before bedtime. They're kept, you know, downstairs overnight, so they're not in their rooms. But you know, regularly when they come down in the mornings and pick them, pick them back up again, so it's, it's there. That you know, is that their friends are online at two, three o'clock in the morning, just constantly messaging, and it's like, what is going on? It's, yeah. Yeah. It's madness, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. This is something we struggle with and uh, I think that's probably the, the biggest cause of upset within the house is probably tech-related. Yeah, because you can see the benefits and the disadvantages of it as a parent, but when they're younger, it's, it's their life. So you've got to accept it to an extent because it's, you know, you can't deny them that you, you're socially excluding them on, on a social level. Anyway, now more so than ever, it's their, their only point of contact with their friends. But it's about keeping it within respectful boundaries, making sure that, you know, they're using it and getting some positive from it rather than negatively getting drawn in, in, into it. It becomes a, obviously a, a limiting point for their lives. So. No, absolutely. Absolutely. We, uh, yeah, I'm the same. We're strict. So uh, mm. with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so fast forward a few years uh, to a time of great change in your life. Um, what stories and emotions does that have with you? Um, I think the biggest periods of change in my life have always been when I've gone through periods of adversity. That's where I've seen, uh, not that I appreciated it at the time, but that's where I've seen the biggest periods of, of, of growth in my life, the biggest periods of change, certainly being able to look back on it and reflect on it and and, and draw the uh, learning points for it. Um, when I was, not long after I left school, I was um, made redundant, which was a negative experience. Not for the fact that it was, I was being made redundant for the, the same job for the second time. That's uh, so a whole other story, but uh, yeah. So, you know, that, that turned, because I had the benefit of some money at the time, that turned into an opportunity to go and travel and see the world. So that negative experience of going through redundancy actually, turned into a, an eye-opening, mind-opening uh, experience of experiencing different cultures. But it was that journey that actually made me re recognize and realize what I wanted to do with my life. I'd drifted along from job to job and 
um, and that since leaving school. And so when I came back, I knew I wanted to do something medical. I knew I wanted to serve and help others. And that's what that's when I joined the Navy. So just after coming back from traveling. So so that was a period of great change uh, because I finally figured out what I wanted to do with life. Um, obviously, being in the military or uh, routinely put into uncomfortable situations and expected to go through adversity. Um, my first deployment to Iraq. Um, was a period of great change. You were um, obviously in a str strange environment. It was my um, first long time away from the kids. Um, and then we were being rocketed and mortared um, many, many times a day. So you go through and you face your personal fears that, you know, give you a great sense of your own mortality. Um, in, yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was definitely a, a period of great change, actually sort of recognising the fact that life is fleeting um, and to be more aware of how you live your life, what you do, the fact that we were out there doing some good, um, you know, and, and that sort of helped balance that, that, that fear out, really. Um, but then you also needed to try and protect your families from what you were facing on a, a regular basis because they don't want to be hearing that. You know, so it was, yeah. So being a, that, yeah, that was a period of great change. Um, Afghanistan, as well as I've mentioned, um, pinnacle of my career, certainly from a deployment um, point of view. Um, it was, you didn't realize it at the time, but I was out there as a, well, I was a, a junior leader at the time, a leading hand in the Navy. So as a, a junior rate, I'd been giving my um, acting rate up to uh, a senior rate level and was put in charge of a team with everything uh, everyone in it ranging from an army private all the way up to a very senior u.s navy commanders specialist nurses with 20 odd years experience so as a junior rate for me that was a, a big challenge to overcome the, the you know the different cultural boundaries between uh, us and the americans in a country you know when you're facing Oh, wow. You know, sort of, yeah, it's, it was the world's busiest trauma hospital. Um, the level of trauma that we're facing on a daily basis was, you know, the, the, the sickest patients uh, I've ever come across. So it was, that was where the adversity came from me. Um, it, period of growth, um, learned a lot about myself um, and came through. Um, and that's when the hard work started for me, really. Uh, I came back, obviously, as you'd expect, as uh, a lot of people do, with elements of what I now recognise as, you know, stress-related disorder uh, symptoms. Things uh, are still an issue in my life today. Um, I, I came back to a time where my marriage had fallen apart, and I was having to negotiate, trying to pick apart, you know, sort of my life that I built with my with uh, with you know my, my other half at the time who I'd been with from a from a young age since before joined the navy and trying to salvage a relationship with my kids out of it um I was I came back very shortly afterwards um was changing jobs so I had to move from Plymouth to Portsmouth I think at one point just after coming back from Afghanistan I had kit in four different homes and locations living I was constantly shopping wherever I was moving to and, and changing around it was yeah it was a really unsettling time so the effects of it lasted a lot longer than the actual tour really um it was uh sierra leone again being in an environment with toxic leadership how i reacted to that which wasn't um which wasn't the best way at the time but actually i've learned a lot from reflecting on it um you know sort of bringing back old memories of being at school and being in a, a culture where there's elements of uh, bullying that, that were present and at a time when we were socially isolated we were on a on a ship for six months off the coast of sierra leone in a high threat environment where you're facing your own fears of you know obviously being in that ebola environment as well so yeah in interesting so it's always been periods of adversity whether it's been through loss of colleagues and dealing with my own emotions over grief at having had colleagues who have died or committed suicide that's really struck a chord with me uh, and then personally because when I left the navy um, two weeks before I went on resettlement leave I was hit with a complete side swipe of being diagnosed with cancer 
um, which so as, as well as transitioning to Civvy Street, it was I was faced with my own mortality again and, and trying to deal with all of that. So, yeah, but on, you know, it, that's what's molded me. I've, I've got um, I've developed this sort of thought that going through adversity in your life, each time you do it, you get a different piece of steel to add to your own suit of armour. Um, and it's what's helped me go through, certainly, you know, sort of going through the, the cancer journey and that at the moment and the transition to civil life. Actually, I've got this suit of armour of skills and mindset that I've developed having been through rough times before to protect me and to, to shield me going through. So it's, it, I've, I've taken positives from each of the, ne the negative situations that I've been through, really. And yeah. Oh, I mean, that's... <laughs> Absolutely, I love that. That's a brilliant analogy of uh, you know forging another scale. Uh, yeah, I love that because you, you're so you're so it's a brilliant way to frame it. You know, it's uh, and it's a skill, like you said, you you crafted that. You've now got the ability to handle God stuff that could like probably if I was in those situations would break me because I haven't got those skills. You know, yeah, no, been through them. I, I I think you know it, it, it's it's almost scale i mean okay so not everybody's been to afghanistan or done that but everybody goes through periods of adversity in their life everybody's going through one now with the whole coronavirus situation mm -hmm. it's it's whether you let that situation beat you or actually whether you um grow and become a better become a better growth mindset again but uh, grow and become a better person for it and actually more resilient in the future because of it and that's where my you know, sort of my thoughts very much that I've, I've built myself a, a suit of armour come from and to counter that, whereas that's been a very passive, slowly absorbing and getting that suit of armour, it's a very passive defensive thing that I, that I take into situations with me. But actually there are skills and habits that you can use that are more offensively. So that's your, your fighting weapons, my, my lance, my dagger, my, my sword or whatever. But, things that you can bring into your life that are more offensive. They, um, things you can do on a daily basis just to actually make your times easier. So it's having that regular routine and developing positive habits, having that, you know, sort of developing that robust mindset. So when you go into a situation, I don't know, you, you, you can um, employ tools and skills actively to help reduce the impact of, of, of what you're facing. So for me, routine and uh, yeah, that mindset is very much what I'm employing at the moment to, to deal with the current situation. How does um, someone that's away for six months, six months, uh, how are they able to think if, if this is the right word, compartmentalize the family aspect? Because it sounds silly me. I feel silly saying this to you, knowing that you've been away for six months from your family. If I'm away from a, on a daily basis, if I if I pursue something I'm interested in, mm. I'm hit with per, uh, a form of like parental guilt that I'm pursuing something and I'm not with them. Yeah, which is completely out of context with what you you went through. But I was just wondering, how do you how do you process that? Or do, do you experience that? Uh, very much so. Um, the choice is taken away from you when you're in the military. You, you're given orders. You're told that you've got to go in. But it's, it's very much something that, that weighs on your mind, tearing yourself away. Um, so where was I? 2007, so when I first went, um, the girls were, where were we? Uh, so, yeah, four and about 18 months. So, yeah, very young, uh, very formative years um and, you, and you're missing for a big chunk of it um it's, it's it's not easy at all so the guilt is is still there um because of what you when you deploy what you go and face um they don't know that it's, it's not in the news so much um you you try and protect them um i i think so communication is difficult because you've got to try no matter what you're going through out there you can't let that come across it whether it's your you know once a week phone call because you know well certainly at the time i'm not sure you know sort of a lot of deployments now you're not allowed your mobile phone it's a security risk so that all stays sim cards are removed um you know sort of phones stay off 
Um, so you don't have everyday contact. You can't just pick up the phone and send a text. It's a once a week phone call. Um, certainly on established operations, you have your paradigm huts, which are, uh, you know, you get your, your, your 20 minutes on, you know, sort of one megabit an hour broadband. So you can uh, sort of send an email home and, and, and stuff. So, you know, and yeah. So actually I went back to, um, old school sending the e bluey so the little telegrams I remember doing that loads when I was uh, deployed just sending letters home and, and going very analog it was uh, yeah it's good but it's, it's even harder now when you you've got that constant barrier in contact with the kids on the mobile phones it's even harder for, for the guys now so how do you, how do you how, so you've answered the army aspect but do you do you get any of that because obviously you know you're, you're entrepreneurial you're, you're building your business you're you know I mean, our kids are very similar ages. My, my boy is going to his GCSEs next year too. Mm-hmm. Um, my eldest, my, my daughter, then is is a year behind. So, um, but I still, and you're right, there's that interface, that initial block of like tech, uh, whether it's Xbox or mobile phone for my daughter. Um, but it's still, I, I'm looking to engage and say, like, where do we do this? How about this? How about we do this? Fancy playing a game, board game? Yeah. You know, giving suggestions. Um, but I've noticed because I, I love podcasts and I love talking and having real conversations with people. I don't I don't get the guilt around this. However, the other aspect of this is the editing, is the marketing. Of course, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all yeah. that aspect that goes with it. Yeah. And that's when it tends to hit me. Do, do you experience that? Um, I, I, I think I've gotten used to it, which perhaps sounds flippant. Um, now I find being around home a lot more. It's me wanting more contact with my kids. Rather than my kids wanting contact from me and for me to be around, it's me like, oh, yeah. come on, you know, let's go for a bike ride, let's go for a run or something like that. And they've got their own circle of friends, um, a, you know, a boyfriend around on the scene for my eldest now. And it's like, okay, I'm not, the, you know, I'm no longer the priority. So it's all, it's almost me sort of, you know, want, wanting. Uh, sort of drawing on them really it's them that should be feeling guilty <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's a brilliant reframe yeah <laughs> no i love that yeah because that's yeah. what i've noticed like i, I got a, my youngest one is seven so he's the one that's looking for you know dad have a look at this and he wants the engagement whereas the other two they could as long as i feed them and give them food and, and water they're fine they don't exactly. really, yeah they don't yeah, need yeah. you do they no 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 that's it it's uh yeah um yeah, it's, it's always going to be an issue. I think it's something that's recognised amongst the mums more. Certainly, you know, the, the concept of parental guilt is, is something that they feel more earlier on in a child's life when they go back to work, whether it's, it's, it's part-time or something. And it's because as a father, you're, you know, the parental leave, okay, so the situation's changing, but the parental leave or that uh, need to start bringing money into the family very often might fall to them primarily it's something you get used to you know perhaps just a couple of weeks after the birth so you, you yeah that's it so it's, it's something that's taken a bit more for granted and perhaps we don't talk about as much mm. not that parentally yeah no it's, it's just uh it's just something that i go with through and i i know i'm home now and i'm i'm usually you know doing my, my day job like yeah like, yeah yeah so this is completely new as it is for a lot of other people out there it's just yeah just wanted to throw it in there to see how you was dealing with it um okay uh another thing you mentioned was you saying that you can't really you want to communicate with your family when you're away however you can't let maybe the fears or the worries that your experiences creep into that communication how do you balance that when you're actually removed from it and then you're back in I call it real life or civilian life, where you've now learned to mask communications, feelings, emotions, and you've got to somehow, and and then you've got to sort of reintroduce that into how you do that with the person you love. How how is that something you're going through? Is that something that you're working on, or is it something that you don't see an issue with? Um, no, it's it's very much, and it's it's part of that journey that I mentioned. That, that I'm going through in the, the time since leaving the Navy, that, that personal growth, putting yourself out there, opening up, um, sharing your feelings, your thoughts, and actually communicating. You know, you're not just talking, you're 
you know, you, you're communicating, sharing um, something that's uh, very much, you know, sort of I'm, I'm learning how valuable that is as a tool, both for others to be able to get a sense of um, uh, shared adversity or to be able to empathize with you. And these are all words, all skill sets that, you know, I'm 46 and I'm only just getting to grips with it now. It wasn't something that was um, a part of my childhood in the you know military. It's like, oh, big, tough, you know, sort of, for, for, you know, rather than just protecting your family, you don't expect it to get on with it and be gruff. And again, that's something that's very much changing now. And we're having to see it is sort of unfortunately um, going through, as I mentioned, the loss of um, some colleagues um, to, suicide um seeing inside and outside the navy um i, th I think collectively um it, it's something that i'm mirroring a, a, an awakening that's happening within society anyway i think people are having to talk about stuff more the, the stresses of modern life are relentless um so even before um this whole coronavirus situation kicked off it's there was an awakening anyway people were starting to open up and share more um big campaigns supported by the likes of itv um charities like andy's man club encouraging men to get together and to be able to share more which is something i think women have um done to you know i want to be careful i don't dig myself a hole here it, it comes a lot more naturally to them they've got the the social and emotional skill set in order to be able to develop those coping strategies and those networks around them um, and do so much more effectively than men. And I think that's why you see reflected in the fact that 70, 80% of suicides are amongst men. Um, because Our age group. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, that, that uh, statistics has, has touched my life in quite a number of ways in the last few years and so it's something i'm having to do to adapt but also i'm seeing it as a way of rediscovering rediscovering my passion actually by me opening up and sharing and encouraging conversation and, and positivity in others is actually a way of me being able to serve and help others again and that's what's sort of funding this this whole you know sort of certainly it's you know causing this whole sort of wormhole i'm going down of growth mindset and self-development and, and self increased self-awareness and, and self-awakening really so middle of crisis so I don't, you know it's uh it's it, it's certainly something um that uh that, yeah yeah i'm exploring at the moment and learning on a daily basis absolutely but the best bit is you've got the right mindset in going into it you know you, you've got that all that has been taught or has been instilled in you um with your military background, so this growth mindset and this ability to just keep moving forward. Um, yeah, and I think that's proven to be really valuable because for a lot of people, this is their first experience of being socially isolated, about facing a previously unknown threat from a direction which nobody saw coming. Um, you know, so it, that unknown enemy, that un unseen enemy, which for us might have been back in Iraq, you know. Uh, sort of factions that were sending immortals and rockets our way it's it's you know whatever however that manifests itself a, a lot of people are going through that for the first time That's, you know, so it's not to say people don't have periods of adversity and worries uh, unemployment and the health issues that they've got but this is the big unknown it's not something you can put your quite literally you can't put your finger on it it's it's not something you can grasp it's it's a very much different concept for people so i think which adds to the level of anxiety and stress and, and worry that people are feeling and i think the biggest worry for me is whereas the country was already going through a mental health crisis um leading up to this that conversation is very much stopped at the moment quite rightly we're we're focusing on physical threats but the longer we go through isolation and lockdown and certainly off the back of this uh, you know my big worry is that the whole mental health picture for the for the nation is, is going to change absolutely massively it's going to be a big big issue um, this is this is um like from from my perspective city street this is the biggest thing that's missing that we're not taught i mean it, my children are taught it to a degree in school now uh like you know reflecting and reflective learning and things like that 
Um, but it's, uh, it amazed me. You mentioned midlife crisis earlier on. I'm, I was 41 or 42 when I had my meltdown and I started questioning everything. Um, mm. and, and if I hadn't had the question of, um, I'm making, why am, I, why am I making life so hard? Yeah. And I've been reading pod, uh, books and I've been listening to podcasts. Um, and that question then morphed into, what can I do about it? If I hadn't got to that point, then I wouldn't have had the shift and pursued the other things I pursued. Mm. But that one key thing alone of being able to frame um, a struggle into the context of what can I do about it? Um, have you heard of um, Jocko Willink? Uh, who, sorry? Jocko Willink. Uh, no, 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 I can't say I have, no. So he, he, he's an American, I think he's either SEAL or, or Marine, and um, he, he talks about extreme ownership. Oh, I've heard of the concept. I, I didn't recognise the name, but yeah, about taking personal accountability for any situation you find yourself in. If you work back far enough, it becomes your issue and take yeah. ownership. Yeah, okay. And that, so, so the first one was asking the right questions and framing it in such a way that I could do something about it. The second one was understanding that if I take full responsibility, no matter what the issue, the, yeah. power, the power lies with me, no one else. Mm. How the hell does someone get to 42 or 40 when you're two years old right, and not realize that? that? That just blows my mind. I mean, is that the people I'm surrounding myself with? Is that my schooling? Is that my college? It's just like, how can I possibly be? Whereas you, having gone through your training in the military, and all the people you surround yourself with, there's a lot of military people coming out now, and they, they put in all sorts of different courses out, you know, Navy SEALs and Marines, and it's all based on that growth mindset and just moving forward, 1% better every day, you know? It's, yes, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. Resiliency, grit, determination, all the things that we need. But we're not really, I, I, I certainly wasn't taught that in school. No, and I mean, in, in, I'm in two minds about it, really. It's it's very much, it's the skills that you need in order to be able to deal with life. But I think it's also an element of getting the right lesson at the right time. For you, it was at 41, 42. For me, it's it's now, you know, sort of going through. If you, if you try and teach, maybe if you were to try and teach school kids about it when it's got no relevance to them, it's got no, they've got no grasp of the concept. Um, they wouldn't necessarily get the lesson. What I think you can do is give them skills that they can go into face situations with, but actually going through that concept of taking ownership and everything's your problem. It's, it's got to be the right lesson at the right time. And I think there's a bit of serendipity about it. That the universe teaches you what you need to know at the right time in your life. Um, it's whether you listen to those lessons and absorb them and, and take them on. Um, because sometimes life is the best, teacher it's it's not you know somebody that's already stressed teaching enough what, the, what they've got to yeah. do with the curriculum in secondary school it's you know it's people learning from experience well, i think you're bang on there because um like for, for me one of the other one of my biggest things that held me back was um confrontation fear of confrontation so my my daddy's yeah. old school uh boxer lives like yeah for, for me he, live, he lives like a liar like he's afraid afraid of no one never have they never will be um so he, he was my the person that I looked up to and there's no way could I emulate him because I didn't have his I don't know, just didn't have what he had. No, um, no, no, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so then be, being in that position where you're you're so I was more of an empath, I am more of an empath, I I can empathize with people and it's it's, it's a difference like like you say about having the context and, and having the right lesson at the right time. For me, it needed to be that time because confrontation escalated. Life taught me if I don't deal with this moment of confrontation in this small moment, then it'll give it to me again, only a little bit yeah. more. And eventually, yeah. it manifested for me. I become aware of it, um, and over about six months, I thought, "Oh, I've got a bit of a fear going on here with this you know, confrontation." And eventually, it got to the point where I had someone standing on my doorstep, screaming in my face. I thought, okay, this is the defining moment now because the, <laughs> the next thing is it's going to be full-on confrontation. So I, I dealt with that situation. Yeah. And it all went away. Okay. It was, it was, it was weird. And you said about life being the, the, the teacher. If I hadn't dealt with it, and I dealt with it calmly, clearly, non-emotionally, 
Um, and I just responded in the right way, thinking of the outcome I wanted for that mm. situation to be dissolved. And that, you're so right in what you said there, um, which is also reassuring because we said, I mean, another path I went down was worrying that, you know, my time's running out. I, I, I had a real sense of that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you sort of talked to as well with regards to, you know, um, having that assessment of, um, uh, the, the life is not infinite. You don't use. It's so not. Long. No. Uh, yeah. Again, from the operation of deployment point of view, but also the the cancer diagnosis. It's just. Yeah. It is. It's a, and it's a big wake up call when you get it. How were you know? So when you went through, when you went through that, how were your family supporting with, with you? Were they were like, oh, you know, sort of, was there a sense of relief, or had it been an issue leading up to that, or was you know? Which now the confrontation or the meltdown? <laughs> All of it. Were they a sense of like, my goodness, where's this person come from? Or is it like, like thankfully, oh. finally starting to open up and to, yeah. It, so I, I've always been a talker. Um, I've always pretty much expressed my emotions um, and I'm comfortable doing so. Mm. And that alone just didn't always fit with everybody, especially men. <laughs> you know, yeah. you yeah, talk yeah. about feelings to men and some were just like, glaze over uh, but I was happy to do so um, so my father worked away a lot mother was a social worker so she was a very keen and I was around doing more so that's probably more my my main influence mm. is that caring aspect yeah I was I went through a stage where I was looking at my life and I thought do you know what if this goes on my wife's going to divorce me and my kids are going to be estranged from me yeah and and, and when I first met my wife and when we first had uh, my eldest son, Kenzie, that broke my heart. So I thought, well, what am I doing? Just, what, what am I doing to be creating this? Yeah. Um, and then that was the start of the journey, the books, the podcasts, then the mastermind and personal growth. And, and it was a big investment. The thing that switched me my life around was uh, I invested in a mastermind that was well outside of my ability to uh, not to afford. But at the time, I've never invested any money in myself. I think it was about fifteen hundred pound over three months, and I was like, "Oh, I really want to do it. I want change." And my wife said, "She's not super supportive. Do it then." And I gave her the yeah. reasons why, and then she backed me up and she she said, "Do it." So I did it. I showed up every every Friday. We'd have a call, and that was instrumental. For me, yeah. in 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 understanding who I was and why I was showing up the way I was, yeah, I couldn't have been more supportive. And that's gone on since then. Now, I mean, I'm a different guy. I was I was ranty, shouty dad. I was I was this yeah. lovely this lovely smiley guy in work that went home and just like because I couldn't be the person I wanted to be in work. Um, I was afraid to upset people, afraid to rock the boat, afraid of other people reacting because I am like you say about toxic racist uh, environments been there mm. um, you know some couple of characters really explosive not, no, not always knowing how to deal with that um, so that's always showed up for me but like all those things have been put to bed to, to over, over the last three years where you know they've all been literally put to bed and my wife is 100% behind me I've changed I've shifted within the organisation I'm in um, I feel like I've upleveled my peer group, uh, the level of mindset that they're coming, they're bringing to the job, um, the habits, the behaviors, it's all these different things, you know, and yeah. if I hadn't had, all along the way, I've always made sure to buy in with my family. First, initially my wife, um, and then when I made the move from being shop floor aircraft engineer to quality engineer, that was a, a, a shift in, um, pay scales yeah and not enough for the better but i could see the benefits that was going to be aligned with it which was um fixed hours no shift no weekends on no overtime so so all of a sudden now yeah. i'm nine till five i can train in the morning so i lose the training guilt yeah 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 <laughs> i i'm home at the same time so i can eat with the family uh, I get to put my boy to bed every night if I, if, you know, if he wants. Um, it was just all pluses. I get to have um, uh, trainings like caps and bells and all these different things. 
So it was the only difference was uh, no overtime and a reduction in money. And it's the best decision I've ever made. Because what that gave you was happiness and time with your family and everything and ease the guilt and solve the situation. Yeah. It's been massive, mate. And it was just like, I, but I have to have that conversation, first of all, with my wife and tell her what I was thinking because yeah. she knew I wasn't happy where I was. And then I had to sit down with the kids down and say, look, this is what I'm thinking of doing. This is what it'll mean to you. Because everyone says, oh, you know, I want to change my job or my job shit or whatever, whatever they say. Yeah. And they're all frustrated. They're not fulfilled. They're not living the life they want to live. They can go and live that life right now, but there's going to be a cost. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And Whether for me, on a, on a similar level to you, it's that desire to want to be around for my family was one of the major factors for me leaving the Navy because you were away every year, whether that was for training and courses and deployments. And, you know, the older they're getting, they're going to be off at university soon enough. And I was, mm. you know, constantly torn between trying to be the, the family dad and be around home and then doing a job that increasingly I'd lost my passion for. And... Yeah, so it took a massive, massive pay cut for me. And I'm hoping that rectifies itself soon. But uh, but actually, I'm around for my kids. I'm getting to become the person that I want to be more. And so, yeah, so, yeah, really empathise with, uh, with what you went through. That period of growth, you don't realise it's what you needed at the time, but actually it no. gives you what you need. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy because it's like literally like the last two or three years, and my life has flipped. Yeah, um, massively, massively. So, um, and I and I was it's still don't get me wrong, I, you know, I, we haven't got all the answers, but we're a lot happier. You know, we've a lot happier than what we were. We're closer yeah. as a family. Um, it's it's still kinks to work out, but we're working on them because I'm approaching everything with a sense of curiosity. Yeah. That's, that's at the moment, that's what's seeing me through as well. What if I do this? I wonder what will happen. Rather than approaching yeah. it as it's a fixed entity, it doesn't change. Because sometimes we can bring like our default thinking that things can be. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Call it, I think they call it cognitive bias, I think, where, and, and that was another big one of me understanding that. So another thing that helped me was I was always torn for time. And I had a massive list of about 35 jobs I had to do. And I brought it to the group. And they said, I said, I've got to do all this. They said, write that out. So I wrote them all down. And it was, yeah. most of it was DIY. And I said, but I want to spend more time with my boy. And blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, I'll get your boy to help you with the DIY. And I was like, oh, I, yeah. that's so simple. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Why was I not able to think of that? The easy answer is, all right, leave me alone. Daddy needs to get on with this. I need to do this job. And actually, coaching, developing, growing him, increasing that bond, getting him involved, taking ownership of what you're working on. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. It becomes therapeutic then, and it's less like work. And... Yeah, absolutely. And that gave me great space then to not feel, you know, the need to rush everything to then be with. Because I could, I'm looking at it more as now as a process. And how yeah. can I engage them in that process? Because I think I, I read a brilliant quote the other day and it said, like, if, you, if, you're, if you're people are waiting for the next new car, the next big holiday or Christmas, like imagine kids, they're missing out on another 363 days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, that, uh, so you put in all your, your sense of hope for happiness on those things. Whereas every day, I mean, since we've been in this new house, no kidding, it's like we've had, 20 minutes of rain before before that we had, we had like we had like three months of rain where we got flooded like oh so, no but it's like i'm looking out the window every morning and this you know the sun's shining it's blue sky yes it's it's, it's, it's nuts it's it's really nuts it's strange I mean, times, yeah and it's it's almost like it's been we've been gifted this nice beautiful weather to actually take pause and actually if you want to go outside in your garden do something and be healthy and take some fresh air. Don't do it. You don't have yeah. to be on your, you know, smashing the keyboard. You can go and breathe and be. Yeah. I said, um, be present in the moment and, yeah, and just, and actually be around each other. I mean, I, okay, so at the moment we're still allowed out to be able to do exercise. And I'll tell you what, I've never seen so many families out walking together or out yeah. on bike rides together. And that's the benefit. 
through all of this, okay, the kids might have moaned for hours beforehand. So got, but, but actually it's forcing people to do things differently. And you, you see people out and about in the sunshine doing, you know, doing things together as a family. So, I mean, if this had have happened during the, you know, if we had to have lockdown during the bad weather when it was raining nonstop, Mm. Stressed. Yeah, it would have been a completely different situation because you wouldn't have had that outlook. You no, know, nobody would have wanted to go out walking. But actually, sharing no. things together is yeah, it's one of the hidden positives in all of this. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, as I say, and then when you could bring that sort of mindset to, if you can bring that mindset to this situation, you just got to leverage that across everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's because they're always there. It's just whether we choose to see them or not. It's uh, exactly. Uh, I, yeah. Go on. What was you going to say? Sorry. I was going to say, and balancing that out with reducing the, the, the negativity, turning the TV off and the constant streams of negativity coming in and actually pulling together more as a family. And whether that's cooking together or, you know, DIY together or out and about walking together, it's, yeah. It's great, man. It's great. So, uh, yeah, I, I, have, sometimes I have trouble seeing the negative. <laughs> I have trouble seeing the negative, <laughs> which can be frustrating for my wife. <laughs> It can be, yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody has those days. I mean, I had one the other day just where actually things are a bit too much for me today. I just need to right, switch off, relax, be kind to myself and recognise that there's still going to be the bad days. There's still going to be the kinks in things, as you said. You know, you're still going to come across those. But actually, I'm in a much better place to deal with that now than I would have been. You know, there were times in my life when just one simple thing would have completely overwhelmed me. Sometimes I think I'm not actually a million miles away from that at the moment, but actually I've got that suit of armour. Um, actually, I just feel a bit more protected to all this. But you're right, not everybody wants to hear constant positivity. And, no, no, yeah, sometimes, it's, you know, yeah. I, I think sometimes we can get fall into the habit of denying our feelings, and that's not right either. So, uh, no. yes, yesterday, yesterday I had a wobble. I started to doubt everything and but I, a good book, I don't know if, you, if, you, if you're a reader, but a good book that I've read is um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Okay, no, it's not what I read. So he talks about this over, overwhelming force that can show up. And when it shows up, it shows up to the magnitude of the task that's trying to be accomplished. So for me, it's like some of the stuff I'm working on, it could literally be life-changing for the way that we live together and stuff. Um, and the way that I work could be different mm. so with that is going to go a shed ton of resistance i've accepted that but it, it shows up in really weird ways so like your computer will go on the fritz you can't find something that you always know where it is um you're really really up and you think right yeah i'm gonna crush this and you start and all of a sudden you have a blanket yeah you know, yeah, yeah that's that's what he terms resistance a brilliant book um and again is is it ties in nicely with Jocko Willink. Um, uh, he's got a podcast too, if you check that one out. Um, okay. Um, yeah, but it ties in nicely. One is extreme ownership and the other one is like an acceptance that there is this force out there that is, and, it, and that, that force, that resistance, is like your subconscious self. It's the aspect of yourself that likes comfort. It likes things just the way they are. It doesn't want change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now you're safe, you're well, you know what I mean? Every, everything's gravy. It's that dreaded comfort zone where uh, <laughs> where people go to stagnate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's what I was. I mean, comfort to me looked like, you know, 24 cans of cider on a weekend. And uh, what was this? Friday was an Indian. Saturday was a Chinese. Sunday was a couple of bottles of wine, a cooked dinner, and then a Chinese at the end. It was like, that was living comfort. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the missus, I think I've dropped five, five and a half stone. Missus dropped probably not far off the same. Yeah. But it's, the, our concept of what comfort is, is messed up. Exactly, yeah. Because you know? modern life is really comfortable. You've got <laughs> untold number of box sets and channels on demand. You've got constant access to all the information in the world. You know, certainly in this, you know, in our country is the standard of living is relatively high. We don't have to worry about, you know, sort of a lot of the, the more basic human needs because we've, we've got it on tap and it's like, oh, yeah, we are comfortable. We do take a lot 
for granted. Um, you know, so it, it's very easy to stay in that comfort bubble, the same circle of friends, doing the same things and taking the more passive decisions because it's easier to go and eat junk food than it is to physically go out and shop buy healthy ingredients and cook a dish that you're not comfortable with and yeah, yeah so in many ways it, modern life encourages people in their comfort zone but uh my favorite phrase about all of that 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 concept is have you read david goggins i love david goggins oh, <laughs> the, the guy's an absolute legend and his you know his, his catchphrase is you know obviously getting comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's yeah. where growth that's where you, you know, happens that's where you thrive um, and actually you increase what you end up doing is you increase your comfort zone. Um, yeah, that's a <laughs> yeah, really, and that's, really powerful thing that strikes a chord with me. I, I was first introduced to him, uh, by an audible book, uh, living with seal by Jess. Oh yeah. Jess yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And he, he's gone on to do another one, like living with monks, I think, but the living with seal one I thought was classic. It's, it's so funny the way he tells it. You know, this, this guy breaking into his apartment at four o'clock in the morning to go for a run in the snow, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lo I love that. Yeah, so yeah, David Goggins, fantastic. Um, yeah, so, okay, so we went off track a little bit there, but that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, so I want to be respectful of your time, uh, Gary. Been, I mean, I still got loads more to ask you, so I'm, I'm going to say, would it be okay if I invited you back at a later point to discuss some of this stuff? Um, I'd be more than happy to if, if your listeners could tolerate another, another session of listening to me. But uh, yeah, the, by all means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fantastic. Uh, and then uh, one more question I wanted to ask you is looking into the future. What could be the craziest and most exciting thing that you could be experiencing? Ah, wow. Um, I mean, running is a big thing for me. Um, I, I ran a half marathon back in 2005 as a road race and I swore after that I would never run a half marathon again. Um, people around me were saying oh, I'll sort of do a marathon and I'm like no it's never something I want to do. Um, this, the last few months I think again having to face my own mortality what I'm you know it's, it's forced me to examine and look at where my potential is and what can I achieve um so I've got a crazy notion of uh undertaking my first marathon not just my first marathon an ultra marathon um because I want to be able to call myself an, an ultra runner so that's for me is the crazy part of my future something I'd never wanted to do uh in the, in the last few months has become singularly one of my one of my biggest goals but yeah, I'd love to, you know, explore this whole avenue of openness and communication and positivity and growth mindset and see where that takes me and the communities that I'm involved in. And obviously, hopefully one day get back to cooking at festivals and events and see where the business can go. So the future looks, yeah, looks exciting and yeah, fantastic. And I'm just looking forward to growing a bit more and uh, seeing what life has in store for me, really. See where it leads. Excellent, man. Excellent. So, um, can you tell us on what platforms uh, the audience can find you? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm dabbling inexpertly on, on an awful lot. So, yeah, I've got, uh, yeah, obviously with the business, we've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We've just launched a YouTube channel. Um, so, yeah, we're all over the place there. And obviously, my personal profiles as well. I'm on yeah, Facebook, Insta, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, YouTube and yeah, Strava. Yeah, 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 we're running. Yeah, if it doesn't, if it's not on Strava, it never happened. That's it. <laughs> I have you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Into Strava. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's addictive, but it's a really positive place to be. You're always giving each other kudos and bigging each other up for runs, and it's really supportive. So it doesn't have a lot of the negativity that come with an awful lot of uh, an awful lot of social media platforms. But you know, yeah. So I'm just experimenting with all. Um, toying with the idea of TikTok and seeing where that goes. Certainly from a business point of view, it's where the 18 to 35 demographic is. But all I see is, you know, all I see on TikTok is what my, my daughter showed me and all these crazy dances and 15 second clips of miming. So I'm sure there's more to it than that, but uh, I think that's going to be the, the next challenge. <laughs> that's cool, man. That's cool. Okay. Well, Guy, I want to, I want to thank you for uh, your openness, your vulnerability and, We'll be willing to, sh to share your story with us. Um, we don't actually know who is who is listening. and may actually need to hear what you've said today. And this is the power of the podcast, is that 
you know, hopefully it finds the right ears at the right time. Uh, and hopefully they can resonate with either you or I in some way. And uh, all, all, all our social links are going to be there for them to click on and hopefully get in touch and maybe kick off a discussion. Fantastic. More than, more than happy to help wherever I can. But, uh, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a fascinating experience being part of my first podcast. Um, it's, it's an awesome medium. I, I, I love it anyway as a, as a consumer, but uh, being able to take part in yours has been a fantastic experience. So thank you very much, John. It's been, uh, been great. I look forward to you know, maybe coming back and, and doing it again in the future, as you say. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Gary. Brilliant. Cheers, Joel. Thank you. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful and professional people who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. It's a wrap, top man. Thank you very much. Brilliant, thank you. So when you said about sort of taking me down wormholes, I didn't mean uh, sort of... <laughs> For some question, it was like, right, for me to fire a question back at you and start going down your own wormhole, I was like, oh my God, what have I done? Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, it's, it was, it's quite cool because it shows, you know, I can't expect my guests to come on and be vulnerable and authentic and tell their story if I'm not willing to do the same. Yeah. Um, so, and for me, that's what I'm all about is I've struggled mentally with my mental health. I've struggled physically with my physical health. Um, and I've had illness manifest in because I've suppressed my emotions. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's debilitatingly so. So uh, I, I just, yeah, I, I'm all about being open and honest and just being as authentic as I can. So thank you for doing that. Um, if you ever want to flip the script when we have another talk, feel free to do so. Um, wow. <laughs> it's, been, it's, it's been no, it's been great to talk to you, Gary, and uh, I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been great. And uh, yeah, enjoy your time with your family. Enjoy the sunshine and uh, yeah. I will, I will. Yeah, fantastic. And I'll, I'll be back in touch and we can uh, reschedule another one. Lovely. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Yeah. All the best. Fantastic. Cheers, Gary. Cheers, Joel. Thanks, mate. All the Bye. best. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.